0: we are in, I think I'm closing our church and state series, which is pretty confident. Thanks, Scott, for that. But uh, yeah, so Scott came into my office two weeks ago, and he said, you don't have to preach in this series if you don't want to. But I thought, just like Pastor Scott said a couple weeks ago, it's good to force myself to preach on something that I'd prefer not to preach on. So I said, I'll do it. And Samuel also agreed that he was going to do it. So I actually had to uh, now. So, um, but I was sitting in the back, in our first week of this series, uh, hiding behind a pillar where I normally sit over there. And I normally hide behind a pillar because Scott makes fun of me from stage. And I think also sitting in close proximity to Doug Goebel, um is good for me because I think Scott will like look at us both and he usually picks Doug. <laughs> but actually, he picks both of us. So I have to switch my uh, strategy up. But yeah, so I, I was sitting over there and I was like, I don't want to preach in this series, but then I felt called to preach on the book of Titus, uh, specifically chapter three. It just came to my mind. Um, so I actually changed what Scott originally had planned. So sorry, Scott, but I'm going to preach on Titus chapter three today. Um, and don't worry. I do have to talk about s- submission to government, but luckily Samuel last week, he, uh, he did a great job of that. So I don't have to go too in depth. Um, and because we're different people, My opinions and my experiences are different than Samuel's. So it's not going to be the exact same sermon. Um, And it's good if sermons overlap, because if we teach the Bible correctly, I think all sermons should overlap. So um, it won't be the same sermon, so don't get bored if you were here last week. But I want to do a bit of an intro into the book of Titus before I get into it. Um, It's three chapters, and I think I read online, especially if you're a slow reader, you could read the book of Titus in less than five minutes. So, if you've never read it fully, read it today. Um, there's some challenging verses in there that you have to wrestle with, uh, but when I was studying for this sermon, it's actually become one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. So, I'm stoked on it. We're going to get into it. Um, but I want to give a bit of a background here. So, this is a letter of Paul written to um, Titus, who he calls a true son of the faith. Um, and we know that Titus accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey, that's in 2 Corinthians 5. And Paul would have wrote this letter, um, scholars and historians believe, after his first Roman imprisonment and after he was released. So I don't know if that gave Paul a bit of a, um, I don't know, a lighter judgment on government. Maybe it did, maybe it influenced this, but maybe not. Um, so he, would have been, he wrote this letter after his Roman imprisonment um, to Titus, and Paul is writing to Titus, who he expects to lead and organize churches on the island of Crete. Uh, but the funny thing is, Paul quotes in the first chapter, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, he quotes this about the people of Crete. The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. Sounds like youth group. <laughs> Just kidding, kind of. Speaking of youth group, last week... Shay threw a stick at my face, so she's not here, luckily. (laughs) But no, it sounds like just the kind of people that you want to lead, right? Um, But I think the biggest thing about the uh, letter of Titus is this, and it's the doctrine of the incarnation leads us to right living and theological truth, and that specifically um, in regards to our political climate and the culture around us. So with no further ado, let's open our Bibles and read. Titus chapter three, verses one to 11. And I think it's up on screen. Maybe, maybe not. And I'll be reading from the NLT. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins condemn them. The end of that uh, uh, verse 11 gets kind of serious there, but we'll get there. And I'm not going to call anyone out from stage. I'm just going to call myself out. But um, I kind of want to split these, put these verses into groups. We're going to go through verse by verse. Um, But I kind of split it into four sections. So I want to focus on verses one and two first, and that is the section that I call submit to the government and its officers, quite obvious. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So we are called to submit to the government, and the dictionary definition of submit is accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. I believe Samuel gave us a great definition and seven great examples last Sunday on submission to authority. And I always find preaching on submission to authority quite funny and ironic um, because my entire life has been lived not submitting to any authority at all. Sorry, mom and dad who aren't here today, but they will be listening. Um, I still honestly struggle with authority greatly. Um, And I think it's the skateboarder in me but if I'm being completely honest, I lean towards total anarchy and anti-authority of any kind. Like I wake up every morning and I, I want start to some, start something crazy, you know? I'm like, yeah, the world needs to, we need to get going crazy. So I kind of lean towards that. Um, and it's even funnier coming from somebody who is now in a position of authority over certain people. So it's an eternal battle for me every day on what I'm going to do with my own thoughts and what the Bible tells me to do. And I think if we're all being honest with each other, we kind of do subtle acts of not completely submitting to authority every day. I don't know about you, but I do a steady 10 kilometers over the speed limit. Um, It's it's a guide for me, not a rule. And I doubt I'm the only one that does that. And if you do follow the speed limit, that's actually kind of impressive, just don't do it in front of me. (laughs) So that's a rule that I, I don't submit to every day. But if I got caught speeding, luckily it's just cameras now usually, but if I got caught, I would say, sorry, oh, or you know what? I didn't know I was going that fast. My foot was a little heavy today, right? I make up an excuse because I know it's a law that I'm supposed to follow, but I don't follow it. Um, And going even further, living downtown kind of causes me even more gray, gray areas when it comes to the law. And the funny thing about living downtown is you can always tell if somebody's like, just visiting downtown for the day or if they live there because if you live there you and you're at a red light waiting to cross the street if there's no cars coming you cross or you jaywalk but people that like are visiting downtown they're waiting for the green light and we're always just like come on man! like there's no cars there. like walk and cops don't really care they don't care about that at all but the one thing that they do care about greatly is if you go through the same red light on your bicycle so I ride my bicycle a lot, I used to do it for a job, and I uh, run red lights very often, because the way I see it is it's a dumb law, and if there's no cars coming, the only safety I'm putting at risk is my own, but there's no cars coming, so I can go through the red light. So the other day, more recently than I would like to admit, last week, we, me and my friend, both confident in our bicycle riding ability both very um, confident in our understanding of how downtown works. Um, we were headed to a destination, and we are coming up to a light, it's a one-way street, it's red, no cars coming, we go through it. What we didn't realize is there's two bicycle cops um, on the right side, they weren't on their bikes, lucky for us, but they, they yell at us, they're like, hey, stop! and without actually saying words to each other my friend and I looked at each other and he went left and I went right. (laughs) I went through an alley I don't know where he went we were just like we'll just see you at the destination but there's no way I am stopping at a red light and getting a ticket for a law that I don't agree with. So by the time the bicycle cops got on their bikes I don't know where they were far behind but we we disobeyed the law I did not submit to authority and I don't think many of us actually always fully do commit to authority. So what do we do with all this then? The Bible tells us to, and that's a good question, and I don't know. So let's just go for lunch. (laughs) Sermon done. No, (laughs) Honestly, though, it's hard, because how do you truly submit to a government? And then it gets even harder, because how do you submit to a government that you don't agree with? Um, Or how do you submit to one that you believe is truly doing more harm than good? And we even have examples in the Bible of Paul, who wrote this letter, not fully submitting to authority. So in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 42, they tell Paul, after he'd been beaten, stop preaching the gospel. And he's like, I can't stop preaching the gospel, right? So he's not obeying government in that situation. So it's kind of weird, because he's telling us to obey the government. But then there's a bit of gray area for Paul, too. Um, And his is in regards to preaching and spreading the gospel. So maybe I should change my gray areas and just when it comes in line with preaching the gospel, maybe that's where I wrestle with it. So I believe we are called to follow God's authority first and foremost, but that can be a dangerous thing because we all have different opinions on what God wants. Um, and just like Scott alluded to a couple of weeks ago, we are citizens of God's kingdom, I think first, and our earthly kingdom second. But that's why I believe that the second half of verse 1 and verse 2 are so important. Because we are told to submit to the government and authorities. Because we're called to be obedient. But I think even greater than that, we're called to always be ready to do good. So there's a reason why we submit to the government. And it's because we have to live lives where we are ready to do good in our world. What does the Christian life lead us towards? Doing good. And what does doing good look like in this instance? Well, Paul says it's not talking bad about anyone. Even people we truly don't like, we think are evil, we don't agree with. We are called to this type of kindness and love. And in the previous chapter, Paul writes in Titus 2.14, speaking on Jesus, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds totally committed to doing good deeds. I think this is a truly distinct Christian kindness, because I talk bad about people all the time, especially behind their back, right? It's easy. I post stuff on, well, actually, I don't use Facebook because I'm too young for that, luckily. But, you know, I've posted some uh, Instagram stories about people I don't like, don't agree with, you know, and it's easy. But here, Paul's telling us, don't slander anyone. Don't speak ill of anyone. And I don't know many people that would truly do that. That's a truly distinct Christian kindness. That's how Jesus lived, and that's how he calls us to live. And that's what's so crazy about the Bible. We say we're followers of Jesus, but if we actually follow Jesus, um, our lives would look very different. Um, and that's what's scary about following Jesus, is he calls us to a way of life that is so countercultural to what we grow up in and what we live in and everything. So if you hear one thing from my sermon today and my... Uh, Preaching professor in Bible college told me this. He said, 99% of people are going to remember only one thing from your sermon. So just repeat the one thing you want them to remember 50 times. So no matter what political climate we find ourselves in, always be ready to do whatever good you can to those around you. Do good. Be committed to doing good. Always be ready to do good. Do good, do good, do good. That's literally my whole sermon. I could end right now, but I'm going to keep talking because I like the sound of my own voice. So the Christian life is not meant to be passive. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, And I have this kind of new obsession and curiosity. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. I've been in Western Canada most of my life, well, all of my life, other than when I travel, I guess. I've been in Western Canada all of my life. And I had this um, obsession and curiosity with Eastern Orthodoxy recently. So I'm reading an introduction to Eastern Orthodoxy by an author um, named Timothy Ware. And the one thing that I found really cool are these two quotes I came across recently that have stuck with me on how the church is supposed to do good and how historically, um, specifically in the realm of Eastern Orthodox Church, how they have done good in the past. So I'm only going to say, I don't know if we have the quotes, but there's one by Prince Vladimir. And I'm only going to say his first name because I'll mess up the last name. But he says this, Above all things, forget not the poor and support them to the extent of your means. Give to the orphan, protect the widow, and permit the mighty to destroy no man. And then St. Joseph, or the followers of St. Joseph, used to say this, The riches of the church are the riches of the poor. Um, And I think those are two kind of revolutionary, um, even in today's age, ways of thinking. I think that's how the early church in the book of Acts acted, and that's how the church in history has acted at certain times. Um, And I think it's how we are called to act. Um, We're called to do good. And how do we do good in the culture around us um, and where we live, specifically? Uh, But for me, this raises the question, at what point does our submission actually cause harm to the vulnerable and marginalized? Um, And I think that's an honest question that we have to wrestle with. We can find times all throughout history, we can find times right now, where people have had to step up and challenge authority to do good. I mean, one that comes to mind right now, there's probably a better example, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to mind. Um, We could have a whole list of names. So what point does our obedience to God supersede our obedience to earthly authorities? Um, And I'm not really entirely sure when that happens, but I think it's when, things are running opposite to God's kingdom and authority and what he calls us to do. I believe that's what we're called to follow first, and I believe we are called to do good. So when we see good not happening, good not happening, is that a sentence? When we see bad things happening, let's do good. Let's step up as the church and do good in our community. Um, That's what we're called to do. So that was my first section, submitting to authority, Um, Now, don't worry, the last three are much quicker than that. But uh, the second section, uh, remember what you used to be. So this is verse three. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. And I think Paul instructs Titus to remind them of the first two verses first, um, because This third verse makes a lot more sense because once we were a fallen people and I think we need constant reminding of staying in our lane in the Lord. We have no right to speak evil of anyone because we were once evil. Um, And I think verse three causes us to remember the work of God in our lives and it shows us gratitude for how God's changed us. Humility as we see that it is his work that has changed us. Kindness to others who are in the same place and faith that God can change those who are still living in that place we once found ourselves in. I think that's like crucial because I don't know how many times um, I like am constantly afraid to tell people I'm a pastor um, because Christians get a bad rap. Yes, but man, I know so many Christians personally I follow a lot of Christians on Instagram that uh, I think say a lot of mean things about people. And it's like, man, I I don't know where in the Bible you get that from. Because I disagree so much. I'm not saying we have to agree with certain ways of living or anything, but man, we have to be kind and loving and we are called to do good. And when we remember the work that Jesus has done in our life, it gives us faith and humility and kindness. For him to do the work in other people's lives. And that's the work that he's going to do. We're not going to do that. We're his hands and feet. We help. Thankfully, we're grateful to be able to help, but we're not going to actually be able to do that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. So we remember um, what we used to be. And then section three, we remember the work that God has done. And this is verses four to eight. So in this place that's described in these verses, Um, mainly verses four to seven, we didn't save ourselves. That's what I'm saying. It was God's kindness and mercy, not our righteousness, that saved us. And this is a stark reminder of a famous verse in Romans, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were enemies of God, he loved us. And this is the great love of God um, that leads us to verse eight, because what should we do with our new rescued state? We have this promise of inheriting eternal life, what do we do? Devote yourself to doing good. Always be ready to do good. This is the gospel. This is why it's called good news. If we're not doing good, that's not very good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's Luke four eighteen and 19 And I think we take that in a spiritual sense a lot when Jesus says that, but it's also in a physical, literal sense. Jesus literally did these things on earth and we are called to literally do the same. In fact, he says we'll do greater things through the Holy Spirit, which is pretty wild to think about. And remembering the work that God has done should lead us to good works. It should lead us to kindness and love and should lead us to being the hands and feet of Jesus, proclaiming what we truly believe to be good news. So, we remember who we used to be, we remember what God has done, and then section four, we stay on course. And that's verses 9 to 11. Um, They remind us to stay on this course, and I think a modern translation makes it a bit more relevant for today, so I'm going to read the message translation of these verses. It says this, uh, verses 9 and 11, I want you to put your foot down, Take a firm stand on these matters that those who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are good for everyone. Stay away from mindless, pointless quarreling over genealogies and fine print in the law code that gets you nowhere. Warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, but then be done with him. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God. By persisting in divisiveness, he cuts himself off. And I think we can take it even further to make it a little more relevant. Stop posting hateful stuff on Facebook about the government that you don't like. Um, Stop getting in the comment sections. Okay, this is, I'm calling my cell phone now. Teresa will attest to this, but I'm up at like 3 a.m. in bed just arguing in comment sections because I like it. Or at least reading comments of people arguing and getting enjoyment from it, right? Um, It's funny because we're drawn to this kind of way of like, I want to say, I don't agree with this person, so I want to say something bad about them. I want to post a funny meme about them. I want to make fun of their haircut. I want to do this, that. But it's like, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to live wise and greater lives than the people around us. And how are we set apart? By being different. We are called to do good. And I would say the world usually doesn't do good. They like that kind of thing. So if we're going to be set apart as Christians let's live differently. Be focused on what matters and stay the course. The essentials for everyone is being committed to doing good deeds, the course to do good. You know, this whole sermon kind of feels like a cop-out to me because the application I've been speaking about the whole time, but it's what I struggled with the most. I was like, okay, we do good, do good, awesome. And I feel like that's kind of a cop-out because we're talking about church and state and I'm not up here giving you rules on what to do. I'm not telling you to vote for somebody. I'm not telling you um, what <laughs> you have to do at all, actually, um, other than doing good. And in a lot of ways, it feels like a cop-out. But it's, I, don't, I don't think it is. Because looking out into this crowd, I know um, this congregation, we have vastly different opinions and experiences. And when it comes to experience, I don't want to discredit any of that. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. I've had a very easy life. Pretty much every struggle I've ever had is my own doing. I like will it onto myself. Um, I've been blessed to live here, um, and sure, I don't agree with everything, but and it's been that's my experience. But I know there's people from different places in the world that have had a much different experience, and I'm not discrediting any of that. But I think when we are committed to doing good, no matter where we find ourselves, I think that's what we're called to and that's what matters most. Do our opinions and experiences and words lead us and others towards God? That's an honest question that you should ask yourself. Are we really proclaiming the good news to the vulnerable and the marginalized, to the poor, the widow, the orphan? Or are we just living life um, by our own accord? I think that's what we're called to as the church, and that's what we're called to as individual followers of Jesus. So that should be our first focus. Do good. And what does doing good mean? Um, and for this, I'm always brought back to the James verse in chapter 1. Um, first chapter 1, says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And then verse 27 Peer and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I think it's worth exploring um, how we do that culturally today. Maybe you can do that over coffee in the foyer, pray about it this week, um, talk about it. But yeah, let's be committed to doing good deeds. And I think it's really cool that we had the mission moment up here today because um, it shows that... At times, we are committed to doing good deeds. They do a lot of amazing stuff. Um, We've done a lot of amazing stuff with our youth group, and we continue to do that. Um, But I think individually and collectively as the church, we should be reminded every day um, to be committed to doing good deeds. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you Lord, we thank you that you sent your Son um, to be a man on this earth, uh, to live and show us how to live, um, to die and rise again, um, to give us eternal life. And Lord, we have inherited eternal life, um, but we are called to a way of living while we are here on this earth. No matter where we find ourselves, Lord, politically, culturally, I pray that, that you would encourage us and remind us of ways um, in our communities, um, with our friends, acquaintances, strangers, ways that we could do good, Lord, um, today, this week, and honestly for the rest of our lives. So, Lord, I pray, yeah, I, I pray that we would just be encouraged to love those that you love, and to be your hands and feet. We pray this in your name. Amen.